0: All right, why don't you turn to James chapter 1, please? In James chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 2 through 4, and the message is entitled Trials Mature Christians. And James has presented himself as a, a willing servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, greeting the Hebrew Christians who had fled Jerusalem under the persecution of Saul and were dispersed outside of the Holy Land among the Gentiles, but not necessarily over the entire Roman Empire at this time. The first Christians were all Jewish. The Gentiles had not come in. James is probably the first epistle that was written. With this short salutation, James now exhorts the believer to welcome trials. Which is characterized by three things. Let me read here, verse two through four. He says, "My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing." And so James exhorts these Hebrew Christians under persecution to welcome trials. Characterized by three things. First, you have the declaration regarding the trials, verse 2. Second, you have the perception regarding trials, verse 3. Then you have the determination regarding trials, verse 4. Declaration, perception, and determination. The foundation comes in the declaration regarding trials, verse 2. James addresses those who um, he was writing to with affection. Listen to his words. My brethren. The word brethren, as you know, Adolphus, is a brother or sister. It could be by being uh, uh, fathered by one mother with a, or, or both mother and father. Uh, it can be applied to both literally. Um, the clear understanding is that they belong to the same family here. They were Children of Abraham, Abraham was their father, now they were um, children of Abraham through Jesus Christ, heirs of the people of God, they're connected with the old covenant of Israel, but now they're Christians, they're born again. So the personal loving affection is indicated by the word my. James and all other Jewish Hebrews accepted Jesus Christ as their Messiah and were born again. Even as Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again and you'll never see the kingdom of God. Now, they became enemies, number one, to the Jew and to the Romans. Because they became Christians accepting Christ as Messiah, the Jewish family considered them dead. Because they were Christians, now Rome is persecuting them. They're getting it from both sides. The word brethren appears 18 times in this epistle. Now, notice James addressed the attitude of mind that believers are to have when they encounter trials. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Is that natural? Absolutely not. First thing we do is we murmur, complain. That at least me. I don't know about you. That's a natural thing to do. So what he's asking is the supernatural, requiring that is not extreme, but normal for the supernatural being born again. The instruction is that the believer is to view trials as beneficial. The value of these trials is indicated by the phrase "to count it all joy." It means to consider to deem to account or to think. The word is used to esteem or value those working among them in 1 Thessalonians 5.13. This is an imperative command, by the way. The eras middle voice indicating that they were to deem this attitude of joy themselves in their trial. Anytime the middle voice says, you have to do it. No one's going to do it for you. Not your husband, not your wife. Nobody can do it. You have to do it when that trial comes. It's you and the trial. No one else. And it's a decisive decision that that's for every trial that God brings. Now, there's a difference between trials that God brings, as we're going to see, and those things you bring upon yourself because of our foolishness or whatever it is. So often people want to blame God for the difficulties they've laid on themselves. Those are not trials from God. there's not testing from God. Those are consequences you brought on yourself. So let's not blame God for the dumb things we do. Okay? There's a big difference. Now... This applies to every Christian without exception. Every generation, every country. I want you to keep in mind, he's writing to Christians who are Hebrews. The first Christians were Hebrews, all Jewish. This applies to every generation, every country, whether you're in in USSR or Khrushchev, whether it's Fidel Castro, whether it's Mao's China, whether it's uh, the Khomeini's uh, Iran, or whether it's whatever. It doesn't matter. If you're a Christian, all this applies to you. And it's never dependent upon the country, the age, or the circumstance you live under. It depends upon you being born again so lame excuses are over. That's what James is saying. James wouldn't be hired as a church counselor today. He would be uncompassionate. He would be unloving. He wouldn't be politically correct. (laughs) Because he was basing his counsel upon the power of God and his word. Now the evidence of value in the trial as beneficial is joy and means gladness. The manifestation of joy is that of the Holy Spirit, as you know. It's not natural. It comes from us. Joy is the first manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians five twenty two. Agape love is singular. One fruit, agape. The first manifestation is joy. Seven manifestations of agape love. Not eight fruits of the Spirit, it's singular in the Greek. One fruit, agape love. The quality of joy is to all notice. It means the whole, the entire, the complete, and it's emphatic at the beginning of the sentence. So there are no excuses, there are no exceptions. All trials. The characteristic of James' style called Peronices, if you were with us in our in-depth study, we mentioned that is very evident here in the verse. The repetition of the leading word um, is taken, and the word greeting expresses the idea of rejoicing or being glad in his salutation. Now, it repeats it now in verse 2 with the word joy. So you carry it over, you expand it, and then you carry that next one over, and it keeps expanding as we'll see that. Now, the kind of trials are stipulated, Noah, when you fall into various trials. He uses the phrase to fall into. It means to encounter. The same word is used in the parable of the Good Samaritan we just studied about two or three weeks ago, that the Samaritan fell among thieves in Luke 10.30. And the eras active expresses actuality. When you actually encounter trials... And if you're a Christian, you will encounter trials. One way or the other. Because God sends trials for our testing. This is when we find ourselves surrounded and impressed by trials. And we cannot get away. And we must confront them. Now you know as parents, if your children don't confront their issues of life, they run from them. They grow up Immature. Irresponsible, and it's no different for Christians. And there's plenty of carnal Christians around the church today. There's no lack. James describes the trials. The word "various" it means multicolored, variegated, diverse in kind and sort. It's in the plural. First Peter one six uh, it says it's of every size and every sort and of every. Uh, Thing you can imagine. And the word is used for different diseases, lust, false doctrines, and for the multifold grace of God throughout the New Testament. The word for trials simply means an experiment in order to prove or to approve something as true or in a good sense. So in other words, God brings a test because He has equipped you to pass the test. If God sends a test to you, and he hasn't prepared you for it, then God would be unjust. You remember being in school? The teacher says, we're going to have an exam Friday. And you had three weeks. You just shined it on. Then the test was passed to you. And the teacher says, do not look in the back of your book. They passed the test. Teacher says, Start. cheater. Now, as Christians, God says, please look in the book for the answers. Now we don't want to look. We want to depend on ourselves. How backwards are we? When they tell us not to cheat, we cheat. When God says, please cheat, we don't. Wow. These are unplanned encounters with um, external trials such as persecution. And difficulties that will test us, which could become an internal temptation to sin if we don't deal with it properly. God can send a trial, and if I don't deal with it the way He's prepared me and the way I know I should, then that could lead me to sin. It's my decision. Right? Right? The word is used for external trials and inner evil temptations of our own doing. As in verse 13, it says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He Himself tempt any man or anyone. So God doesn't tempt you and I. He tests me because He's equipped me and prepared me, but it's up to me whether I'm going to yield to the resources and the right answers, and the right yielding to him. That's my decision. James uses alliteration in this verse, the phrase, um, fall into, and the word various and trials all began with the same Greek letter. We get a good example of that in Psalm 119, that's an alliteration through the whole Hebrew alphabet. It's the longest psalm in the um, section of the Psalms. You remember Joseph? He had gone through all kinds of testing and God put him there. When everything was over, he said this to his brothers But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Now, if God was in it, then Joseph had to yield to it. He saw it clearly afterwards. The testing that was allowed by Potiphar's wife, if not yielded to properly, would have have turned into a sin. Right? It was his choice. There are daily trials we um, must deal with people. People um, that go out of the way to provoke you or to cause you to bring trouble to your life. It happens every day as Christians. People at work who um, are over you and perhaps abuse their authority and make um, work more difficult for you, especially if they know you're a Christian. Problems in your marriage with a husband and wife, and sometimes it's because a husband or wife is not a believer, and there's great difficulties being unequally yoked. The difficulties of raising children Teaching them, disciplining them, working through their difficult days and situations. These are real things. And every generation has to go through it. But it seems that this generation is so entitled in the church and has become culturalized that we're giving the same lame excuses as people in the world. And we're justifying it. Um, we probably pass the world up already on divorces inside the church and remarriages it 's hard to tell the, the difference between the Christian and the world today. Listen to um, Paul in ephesians five eighteen through twenty one. Uh, before Paul addressed uh, the different roles of the family, he gave the source of the ability for that requirement. He says, and do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be ye filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making mellow in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the kicker submitting to one another in the fear of God, and from there comes the family role, the husband, the wife, parenting, everything. If you're not filled with the Spirit of God continuing, the Word of God, how in the world are you going to meet the challenges and the tests of life? You're not. You're going to excuse it. You're going to blame others. You're going to justify yourself. That's carnality. It doesn't solve the issues. doesn't bring God glory. And it leaves you in the same state that you are, disobedient. There are daily trials we encounter that come upon us. Living in this sinful world. I don't have to tell you that. Dealing with crazy people on the freeway. They they think you're trying to race them rather than getting on the freeway. It's so simple. I'm, I'm merging. I don't want to race you. Dealing with crummy neighbors. Or maybe now you guys have none of this stuff. Maybe I'm talking to myself this morning. Dealing with false accusations, gossip, dealing with illnesses, maybe persecution for your faith. It's possible in the United States. Not to the extent that we see in James, but certainly it's possible. Jesus said in Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 12-13, Blessed are you when you are reviled and persecuted. And, And people say all kinds of evil against you falsely. For my name's sake. You make sure that what they say is false. And you make sure that the persecution is because of Jesus' sake. Not because of your stupidity. Not because you're misrepresenting the Lord. Own up to it. If it's you, it's you. But make sure that it's false. And make sure that it's because you're a Christian. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So you're in good company. All right? 1 Peter 4, 12 and 30 says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trials. Not just trials, fiery trials. Which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. It shouldn't be strange if you're a Christian. You see, as Americans, we've never suffered for Christ. The church has always suffered for Christ. So, we get a little hangnail and we start whining. But... When you live in a country that'll that cut your head off because you're Christian, the hangouts rejoiced over. <laughs> it's not even noticed, which are to try you as though some strengthening has happened you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, and when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. These guys lived in the real world. These guys didn't live in Christian Disneyland. There are daily trials you encounter with things that you own and I own. washer breaks down. And then it did it while you were gone. And it did it at the beginning of the load. And now there's water all over. And you had some... Personal and expensive things on the garage ground, and now they're all ruined Driving down the freeway and the tire blows out The next day, the dryer goes out I only have money for one or the other Which one do I do? Common sense, I get the tire because the tire gets me to work to make money I go to the laundromat for a week or two or a month. Simple test of common sense even. The oven stops working halfway through the Thanksgiving turkey dinner. The dog breaks in and eats the pumpkin pie. So you end up having roasted dog for turkey day. Been there? But we think it just happens to me. Now it happens to everybody. Matthew 16, says, For what profit is it if you, a man, if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul, or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Nothing wrong with material things. Your house, your car, food, any of that stuff. But when those things tweak us out and we lose the perspective of what's going on, material things are worthless, absolutely worthless in comparison to your soul. Now I thank God we have this building. I thank God every time I turn the corner and I see this building that God would give us this building. I thank God you have comfortable chairs to sit in. I thank God that you have air conditioned, you could be comfortable. But would you be here if I had hard seats like we did at the beginning of the Bible study, and I had no air conditioning? Would you be here? Would you just be looking for a comfortable church instead of a church that teaches the Word of God? See, you have to ask yourself those questions because the most important thing is your soul. Are you growing? Are you developing? Are you moving forward? Or are you yielding to the culturalizing of the church and the carnality that's not even Christianity anymore? The declaration regarding trials is to embrace them with a spiritual attitude. Notice secondly, the perception regarding trials in verse 3. James um Reminded the believer that they understood the reason for trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith, he says. He being also a believer, like them. Perceived with spiritual understanding that all believers have the capacity to understand spiritual truth. Every Christian and every generation, no matter what the country. They have the same mind, Christ. The same Holy Spirit. The same Bible. Everything the same. No Christian has ever lacked anything. Therefore, you can speak to one another in boldness, in exhortation, even reprove. I'm not talking about being arrogant. I'm not talking about being self-righteous. But that we can require of each other what God Says we can do because we all possess the same potential. So I cannot use my circumstance, my situation to excuse myself, to justify myself, or to accuse others. When we understand that, then we're busted. You see, James would never be hired as a counselor in any church today. He would be self-righteous, callous, unloving. Paul would. In fact, Jesus wouldn't. Majority of emerging churches today don't teach about sin, repentance, salvation, or anything else. It's just, let's just get along. Let's just love one another. Let's just make community. Really? Wow. The word knowing means to learn to know, to come to know, or to perceive knowledge by personal experience. You have to do this. Not your wife, your husband, you. The tense is present active, progressive, and continuous. 223 times in the New Testament. James will use it two other times in 220 and 520. The word knowing has the same relation as the imperative, count it. Both affirming what trials really are and what they accomplish. Therefore, they are to be embraced with all joy because they make me less like me and more like Jesus. They cause me to draw close to him and not to trust myself. He understood that all testings through trials are for authentication, real faith. The word testing means to prove, to verify that which is genuine. It's used for testing of coins, that they are false or genuine. This particular form of the word appears only one other time for the faith of the believers being of greater value than that of gold that perishes in 1 Peter 1.7. Have you ever thought about that? That your faith is of more value than a bar of gold? A bar goal can be stolen. A bar goal can decay. A bar goal may get you something for this temporal, but your faith is something eternal. It will deal with you for all eternity. It will secure your eternity in Christ Jesus. If you, depending where you're at in the age line, but when you're young, you can't even believe ever thinking you'll be thirty let alone 40. But as you move on the line, you realize that this life is very, very short and very, very insignificant in terms of value in and of itself. Before you know it, you're gone. We're strangers and pilgrims. The faith of a Christian is biblical faith, not emotional, not subjective. It's objective truth. Our whole society doesn't want to deal with objective truth. So the New Merchant Church says you cannot learn any objective truth from the Bible. So they sit around and dialogue. What do you believe about the scripture? How about you? How about you, sister? Oh, okay, great. Now, let's go have a beer. Whoa, really? Sipping saints? Are you a sipping saint? Hmm? Hmm. Okay. The word faith has the article indicating Christianity and its doctrine. You cannot say you're a Christian and not study doctrine. It's inconsistent. The only way you'll know what a Christian is is through doctrine. If you know the Word of God, I can tell if you're a Christian by what you say, how you live, who you hang out, and where you go without being a Pharisee. There's gray lines, there's liberties that we have, but they're, they're very few. Okay? It's real easy to tell if you're a Christian or not. But today, it's unacceptable in the Corinthian church of today. It's culturalized. So if you stand for God's word, you're self-righteous. You're unloving. You're a legalist. Really? Wow. That source in salvation ephesians two eight nine you 're saved by grace or faith that not of yourself there 's been a transformation that 's gone on it 's supposed to be continuous Faith comes by hearing hearing by the word of God Romans ten seventeen objective truth the faith is personal and individual notice of your each person being born again each person being responsible to encounter the past. And to deal with the test and to pass it. It's up to me. No one else. I'm responsible. Now notice James reminded the believers that the testing of their faith was for spiritual growth. Uh, produces patience. He states that this did not take place passively. Passively. The word produce means to perform, to accomplish, to achieve. The tense is the indicative present middle once again, indicating an ongoing result by the individual being part of the process. Listen, here's the simple formula. Process equals product. Nobody wants the process. They want the product. This entitled generation of our nation and in the church... Love's a product. People want goods. They want money. But they don't want to work. People want to be Christians. But they don't want the process of dying to self. Obeying. Being transformed. No process. No product. Real simple. The same word is used by Paul. Godly sorrow works repentance. But sorrow of the world works death in Romans 7:10 James will use it once more in chapter 1 verse 20 the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of god so the interaction between faith and trials bring about a process that of conflict and pressure that of resistance and opposition That of defending against the attack. That of the new nature being victorious over the old sin nature. You must pick up your cross. But first you have to deny yourself, lose sight of yourself, and follow him daily. People don't want to deny themselves. They don't want to agree with God. They want to do it their way. And still call themselves Christians. You can. Doesn't make you one. So it's not what I say. It's what the Bible says about me. That's what's important. He stated the particular process will result in being more reliable. Notice the word patience, steadfastness, constancy, or endurance. Jesus used the word, by your patience, you possess your soul in Luke twenty-one nineteen. The author to Hebrews says, You have need of patience, Hebrews 10 36. James will use it again in the next verse and for the patience of Job in chapter 5, verse 11. The idea is that of remaining under, here's a good word for you stick to itness. Stick to itness. People are so irresponsible today, even in the church. I wish to God Christians were as sensitive to God's voice to call them into ministry as they always tell me God's calling them out of ministry. (laughs) Carnal. Real simple. Enduring the process. Lasting in perseverance till the end. One described it as power under control. Listen to Trench. Trench calls this a noble word which always has the background of manliness. Quote, the brave patience with which the Christian contends against the various hindrances, persecutions, and temptations that befall him in conflict with the inward and outward world. We live in tension. We're born into warfare. Put on the armor. Be strong in the power of his might. And do great warfare. The immense spiritual growth of so many people. I think of Melissa. Some of you ladies saw and heard Melissa here. The young girl who grew up... the burn where I live, and her dad is very prosperous, and she would grew up with every comfort, everything else. And she gets born again, and she goes to Africa, and she falls in love with Africa, and then she falls in love with Vincent. He is as black as night. He is the greatest guy in the world. He had a horrible upbringing. And both of them are there serving the Lord, loving the Lord, under great danger and persecution. She lives with the people. When she first went, she lived in a hut. She has to wash her clothes, everything, like everybody else. That's what she chooses. Not like a lot of the denominations, as missionaries to their camp where they live separate from the people. She's caught malaria so many times. She lives in the persecution because the Muslims around there don't like Christians and they try to poison them all the time. She sees the atrocities of the, uh, of the uh, jealousy and envy of the many wives of the Muslims for the heirship of the son, who's going to be the first one. And she has seen where this one woman took a coat hanger and traversed it from the shoulder down through the abdomen of another child. Hopefully he would die. And they were able to extract it at the hospital, and luckily nothing happened. But that child will die sooner or later. This is where she lives. Having had everything here in the United States, you understand? It's the same God, the same Bible, the same faith. Not Disneyland. The believer begins as an infant in Christ. That's good. We rejoice over you're born again. We're happy about you. You bring your baby home from the hospital, it wets his pants, it's kind of comical. But when he's 18, if he does that, you're going to be a little upset. So we rejoice over the birth. We rejoice over babies when you're first born again. But that's only a start. Don't stay there. Hebrews 5.13 says, For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. So we rejoice for that period. There's a legitimate period, but it's not good to stay there. 1 Peter 2.1-3 says, Therefore laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes, desiring the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. You move from milk to pablum, to ground up food, to solid food. You move forward. The believer must continue to grow, and is warned about the danger of not growing. Always in the Bible. Listen to Second Peter one six through nine. It says, "But also for this very reason, give all diligence. Add to your faith virtue, the virtue of knowledge, knowledge self control, self control perseverance." To perseverance, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness. God be loved. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. This letter applies to you here. It applied to the Christian a century ago. It applies to the Christian who's in jail in Iran this morning. To everybody. No different. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the air of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ the savior to him be glory both now and forever amen second peter 3 17 and 18 these christians are under persecution they're jews who accepted christ they're getting it from rome they're getting it from their jewish families they're dispersed in the gentile world they've had to leave their homes he's not cutting them any slack The believer grows and is to be known for patience. But unfortunately, it only comes through trials. Listen to Paul. Who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality? Romans 2, 2, 6-7. But if our hope, if we hope for what we do not see... We eagerly wait for it with patience or perseverance Romans 8:25 That you may walk worthy of the Lord fully pleasing him being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy Colossians 1:10 and 11 so that we ourselves, both of you among the churches of God, for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. 2 Thessalonians 1 4. Now may the God and the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. 2 Thessalonians 3 5. That's what Paul tells the Christians of his day. The perception regarding trials is to understand they produce spiritual growth. Notice thirdly in verse 4, the determination regarding trials. James instructed the believer to yield to the process in order to end up with the finished product. But let patience have It's perfect work. The word but would be better translated now. In view of the fact that we are to count it all joy when we fall into various trials. In view of the fact that we know the testings of our faith produces patience. Let now let us or let patience have its perfect work. Since we know all this then the right decision is to let patience have his perfect work. For me to yield to God, to draw from God, to ask wisdom from God. The characteristic of James' style again is evident in this verse. The word patience was the leading word in verse 3. Now the word patience is repeated. The instruction is a command, not a suggestion. The tense of the word... Have is the imperative, present, active. This is to be the ongoing practice of a believer. Continuously. Everybody likes to start things. Not all finish things. You can take that on any level and every level. Just the way it is. Christianity is no different. This is to every believer... Without exception, ladies and gentlemen. The reason is that patience might be completed in its entirety. The word perfect means brought to an end, to finish. The subject is patience. The vehicle is the trial of life. This is not teaching a sinless perfection that we can accomplish None of us will arrive in this life. I have a long ways to go. It's revealing the quality of patience enduring during the trial enduring during the uh, encounter of that trial and enriched through the trial. So as a Christian, you understand what trials are. You understand the resources you have. You understand that they're there for your good and you understand that it's the testing of your faith. And you understand that you're able to cheat and look in the book. But no one can do it for you but you. Notice James instructed the believer to achieve the ultimate goal. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. He gives the purpose that the believer be well-rounded, spiritually the word that indicates the purpose clause. It's a henna clause, a purpose clause. The intention in mind, the pursuit to attain. The word perfect is the same as in the first part of this verse. Perfect, to be brought to its end or finish in the sense of mature in its context. When you look at your son and your daughter, you not only want them to grow physically, But you want them to develop physically, but emotionally, and in maturity on every level. And when they're not, you say, act your age. They're 18. And you say, don't act like a 12 year old. Too many Christians are 30 years in the Lord and they act like they're 20 or 15. They're still whining, they're still scraping their knees, wetting their pants. They're still sucking on this big old bottle. The perfection here is regards patience, maturity, the finished goal. And the word complete, it means complete in all its parts in the sense of adequate. The completion of Everything. That I'm yielding to it so that the end product is what I end up with here. This is the positive goal. The two words complement each other for the spiritually healthy believer. And for that goal. In growth, development, and maturity. On every level, on every sphere, at every age. In Christ Jesus. The positive goal is emphasized and intensified by the negative statement, lacking nothing. Lacking means to not have, in the sense of having not failed in the trial to secure the patience. It's an affirmation that the product was accomplished. Lacking nothing. Having passed the test of faith, the root of our Christianity. The word nothing again, not at all. The joy of the believer is in seeing the progress. The joy of the believer is in experiencing in our life in Christ the growth, being stronger, a greater maturity in Christ. Now, nobody grows this way, but you better be growing forward, (laughs) okay? Sometimes we may look like the stock market, but make sure it's forward, okay? Very important. Listen to this quote. The chief danger of the 20th century will be religion without the Holy Ghost. Christianity without Christ Forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, heaven without hell. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army. Welcome to American Church, the Emergent Church, and many other churches. Are we the only ones? Are we better than? No. We will go that way too if we don't stay in the Word of God. And we start making excuses. Excuses. If we start culturalizing our Christianity, we will go the very same way. Listen to Paul, 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light afflictions, that's comical. Paul was stoned three times, shipwrecked many times in the sea, imprisoned, beat, Accused falsely, chased. He says, light afflictions. I don't know any of this. My worst trial of my life doesn't even come close to Paul. He calls a light affliction, which is but for a moment. It's working for us a far more exceeding eternal way to glory. While we do not look at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal. The things that are not seen are eternal. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 and 8. Do you believe this? Do you understand this? The test and the trial will prove you. The beloved apostle John addressed three levels of believer: The children, the recent believers, he says, I write you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake, 1 John 2.12. And that's great. What a joy it is to see people come to Christ and their sins are forgiven. They're new. They have great hope, great potential now. Boy, we rejoice over that. Then there's the young men in 1 John 2, 13 and 14. Um, They're growing strong. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the wicked one. You don't have the word of God. You're not studying doctrine. You're just dialoguing. How are you going to be strong? How are you going to overcome? Then you have the fathers. Who have walked with God for many years. I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. 1 John 2.13 I thank God for you men who are fathers who walk with God for a long time. You're like these pillars holding up this building. Young men look towards you. You're an example to them. The recently born, they look to the young man and the fathers. And you have all these three levels in the church, and it should be there for a well-rounded family. All these examples, all accountable, all there to help others. The growth and development and maturity of believers is directly related to the study of the Word of God then. Uh, we are given in Ephesians four sixteen through 17 that... God has given pastor, teachers, and evangelists, so on and so forth for the perfecting of the same for the work of ministry. That we not be children tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine, but to reach the full stature in Christ. Every joint, every ligament, doing its own share so the body is healthy. The motivation is agape love. Your body conforms to each other. It helps each other. You know, when the toe gets cut while well, you're mowing the lawn, the hand doesn't say, stupid, I'm not going to help you. This hand jumps down there without even thought. If we're a healthy body, then we realize we're here for one another. To encourage one another, to reprove one another, to pray for one another. But we do not excuse one another. We don't become permissive with one another. When there's confrontation, it's in hope of repentance, restoration, not mere castigation, ladies and gentlemen. That is not the case. That's not biblical theology. But we don't play games with sin. Sin kills it will destroy you and your life. Guaranteed. It's cancer. You don't take aspirin for cancer. You cut it out. Second Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker that does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. This is the point, man. He cuts through the trail, through a forest. An army cutting through. Like the point, man, wherever he walks, you walk, because if not, the booby track can be set off and everybody gets killed. It's real simple. How do you do that? To the Word of God. Right dividing the Word of Truth. Today, no objective truth. It's all subjective in the emergent church. Wow. So we don't talk about sin. We don't talk about repentance. We don't talk about the second coming. It's a waste of time. Really, Rick Warren? Really? Now, who am I going to believe? Jesus or Rick Warren? It's so simple, hands down. Real simple. You're to Berean. You're to be a Berean. To examine, to find out if those things are so. Acts 17, 11. You don't just trust me. You don't just look to me. I'm a man like anybody else. We sit here saying the word of God together. If you think that I prepare these sermons just for you, I don't, they hit me first. God's teaching me too. These are applicable to me too. When I got in the bathtub this morning to shower, I didn't fill it with water and stand on the water and shower. Too much pastor worship today. Too many idols. Too much dependency on people behind the pulpit without opening your Bible and examining to find out if those things are so. Sheep follow Jesus. Rats follow Pied Pipers. When sheep reproduce, God gets the glory. When rats reproduce, they eat each other. Are we straight on that? Real simple. Job is placed on the top of the list of being tested by various trials lacking nothing. You've read them. By the way, God's the one that brought the tests. Lucifer went up before God and he said, Hey, have you considered my servant Job? He's a righteous man, he hates evil. Ah he's a mercenary, you bless him with everything. Well, go ahead. But you can't touch him. Takes his house, his children, and everything else. Job says, blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives, he takes away. Satan comes before the throne of grace again. God says, have you considered my servant Job? He, he hates evil. Ask him for skin, yeah, will a man give all that he has? Alright? Touch his body, but you can't take his life. Wow. persevered, depended on the Lord. Then all his brethren and all his sisters and all those who had been his acquaintances before came to him and ate food with him in his house. And they consoled him and comforted him for all his adversities. And the Lord, that Lord had brought upon him, it says. But they were condemning him when he was going through it. Ah, Job, you're evil. That's why it happened to you. You were trying to play like you were a real Christian. Ah, they accused him falsely. He stood his ground. All alone. Will you stand alone? Or do you need others besides you? Do you have not fortitude of your Christianity to stand alone? Or will you go into the fetal position? Oh. test is coming to the United States. Trust me. If you can't stand now, I don't know what you're looking for. Jesus said, therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is imperfect, not sinless. But mature, progressing, as you move along. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Paul says in Romans 5, 3 through 4. And you know, Paul dealt with the real world. He lived in a very dangerous world. He himself was a recipient of much, much hurt. And when he wrote to the Philippians, he put it this way. And I'll end with this. Philippians three thirteen through 15 He said that the believer never ultimately reaches perfection on this side of heaven. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. But one thing I do forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forward to those things that are ahead. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us As many as are mature have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal them even this to you. He includes himself. He has not arrived. But he's mature for his age. And he's living up to his age. That's good. The determination regarding trials is to be spiritually mature at all times on the level that we've been in Christ. And so James exhorted the believer to welcome trials characterized by these three things. They're still applicable today, ladies and gentlemen. The declaration regarding trials is to embrace them with a spiritual attitude. If we don't do that, we'll be we'll be wrong from the beginning. The perception regarding trials is to understand they produce spiritual growth. And the determination regarding trials is to be spiritually mature. It's not natural to like these things. (laughs) It's a supernatural thing. If you're born again, this is required of you. Without exception. Father, thank you for your goodness, your love. We thank you for this time, and we pray you continue to guide us, and we yield to you, Lord. We thank you for every person that comes and every person you bring, Lord, and how you are so faithful to deal with our hearts, so we thank you. And, Lord, we pray even now for those that perhaps are here that do not know you, and you will speak to their hearts, Lord, just how much you love them and how you want to forgive them, and to make them your children, Lord. Forgiving their sins and giving them a new nature to be able to live. According to your word. As you're praying, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Then God has brought you here to be saved. Maybe you're over the internet. Then God has allowed you to see your sinfulness. Your need of Christ. That's the grace of God. Now. The ball's in your court. You have to decide whether you agree, whether you want to be born again. That he can forgive you and give you a brand new heart to be able to live the life of Christ. This is a prayer of repentance. If you want to pray it, it's you who are praying it to him, not to us. And he will forgive you right now and save you right where you're at. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord. For all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you. As Savior and Lord. In Jesus name. Amen.